Hi, everybody. I'm Todd. Uh, we are in the last week of a January series called Warmed. It's got a fire there to help you be psychologically warmed. I think it works okay. Um, it is a sermon series on God's hospitality and then our own. The idea, the controlling blurb is something like this. We need to be hosted first by God with the gifts God gives us, and then we're called to give those gifts away to the church, to our neighbors, strangers, enemies. We've got a fire. Okay, so I, this week, went looking for warmth in the scriptures. I'm like, I'm going to take my assignment. This is warmed. I'm going to look for the word warm. I found that the scriptures have a very literal take on warm. If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? Says James. It says James. There's a, there's a weird Zoom that's happening here, and we're probably just going to live with that. That's from James. Um, a little bit later on, uh, well, let me tell you about the word warm. Thermino, thermal underwear, thermal whatever, right? Yes? We're going to do some words today. I'm the pastor of spirit and word. Here are some of the words. Um, this word shows up in the New Testament where people are physically cold and they want to go to a fire that is warm. That's literally the only place it shows up. Okay, so I'm looking for how the Holy Spirit is warm, and I haven't found it yet. Um, the closest I get is this text from Acts 28. Uh, the natives, this is actually the barbarians, the non-Greek speakers, um, showed us unusual kindness. They're like shipwrecked or something. Uh, since it had begun to rain and was cold, they kindled a fire and welcomed us around it. So we're still not, the hospitality is only warm in kind of a literal physical sense. They are cold, so the fire is warm, uh, and they invite them to it. That's as good as it gets, okay? Other translations, the New Jerusalem Bible, this is part of what I do all week. The New Jerusalem Bible really likes to use the word warm where it's like not warranted. Like a warm welcome, eh, it's a joyful welcome, right? Like uh, receive them warmly. No, it really just says receive them. Um, so that's all we get. Um, the zooming, I'm not gonna be stressed about the zooming if you're not. Let's agree together. Okay, I was thinking where else can we find warming? I found burning, burning. Um, there are some disciples, some maybe fringe disciples. They are not the core 12 who are walking uh, on the road to Emmaus after Jesus has been crucified and they've heard some rumors resurrected. Jesus shows up. Uh, they don't recognize him. He like takes them through what must have been a marvelous Bible study that we all want to have been at. Then he like celebrates communion with them and disappears into thin air. And uh, they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? Are their hearts warmed? I don't know. I think their hearts are maybe illuminated. This is the verb kai-o, uh, which means to light or to kindle. This is the verb that we have um, in Matthew where it says, who lights, which one of you would like light a lamp and put it under a bushel, right? When you light a lamp, it's supposed to illuminate an area. Uh, when we talk about uh, the like, get your lamps ready to receive the bridegroom who's coming back from the feast in the night, right? It's dark when he's coming back. This is to illuminate things, okay? So this is also not warmth. Um, usually when we have fire, fire is for destroying things. That's how fire works uh, in the New Testament. When it's not warming people up, it is destroying them. Uh, you guys, we're going to do all three of my favorite questions from the New Testament today. Here's uh, James and John after a Samaritan village has not received them. Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? The answer is no. The Lord does not want that. That is not the uh, proper response. Okay, so warm. I had a dead end with warm. Uh, in the New Testament, but I'm going to press on anyway. I didn't give up. Um, I was thinking of another place in the Christian tradition where the word warm really signifies. Anyone have any ideas? Anyone who's conscious of the fact that we're in a Methodist church? Who? Quakers. Not a Quaker. A Methodist. It's Methodist. 
Oh, yes. Here he is, John Wesley. Does that man look like a heart, a guy whose heart is strangely warmed? <laughs> what about that guy? <laughs> Same guy, bobblehead edition. Um, this is John Wesley. He was a fourth-generation minister in the Church of England. He founded a thing called Methodism, although Methodism wasn't an independent thing actually in his lifetime. The Methodist societies existed within the Church of England. They were trying to bless the Church of England and people to help them uh, follow Jesus in a particular way. Um, this guy is serious about holiness. Uh, as he's kind of looking back, he's like, I don't think I consciously disobeyed anything until I was at least 10 years old. <laughs> okay, dude. Um, then he goes to school and his like, record gets a little bit worse. But he's very, very concerned with like living in a holy way unto the Lord and experiences like, I don't know, as you might imagine, a fair bit of anguish about this. Um, to cut a long story short or get, get where we're going here, um, he has an experience in the evening, I went very unwillingly, thanks, to a society in Aldersgate Street, this is in London, I'm pretty sure, where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. Luther is very excited about justification by faith, without works. About a quarter before nine, while he, the guy who was reading, was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine. I didn't go to the manuscript to see if these are underlined, but the edition I read had them. Um, he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Okay? So, he felt his heart strangely warmed. I think in this case, we are not dealing with illumination or physical warmth, but something like a, a sense of assurance, uh, a sense of maybe God's love or welcome. Aha, I've arrived at a place where we can be warm and talk about the Spirit. Um, he has one other spiritual experience uh, of note for people who collect these things. Um, I think spirit, uh, spiritual is a very wishy-washy word in many contexts. In this case, it's the right word because I think the Holy Spirit is what does this, okay? Spiritual in that sense. Mr. Hall Kinchin, Ingham, Whitefield, Whitfield, we say, Hutchins and my brother Charles were present at our love feast in Fetter Lane with about 60 of our brethren. About three in the morning, did you put together, this is January 1st? This was a New Year's Eve party, guys. This is how they got down on New Year's Eve. They had a prayer meeting. About three in the morning, as we were continuing instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us, insomuch that many cried out, that's out, for exceeding joy, and many fell to the ground. As soon as we were recovered a little from that awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice, and he says, we praise thee, O God, we acknowledge thee to be the Lord. Okay? For the next 50-plus years... Let me blow your mind a little bit. He preached more than 40,000 sermons. In one period, he's doing like 5,000 a year. That's 14 or so a day. Uh, he's covering like 225,000 miles preaching. This is the 18th century, guys. This guy is, well, uncommonly influenced by the, this experience, maybe. When he is dying, reported dying words are this. Best of all, God is with us. I think John Wesley has his heart strangely warmed and has an experience of the Holy Spirit that causes him to have a kind of a core message that God is with us. And how is God with us? I think in a way that looks like forgiveness of sins and assurance of salvation and things like that. But the presence of God becomes the thing that changes his life. Okay, I'm going to skip those. Nobody's cheering yet. <laughs> Some are inclined to cheer when I skip things. Um, God is with us. This is our word. Josh put this up. No one, no one pulled Josh aside and said, dude, you've been putting up the adjective, not the state of noun. You guys didn't do that. But I had his slides, and I was like, oh, okay, the adjective, hospitality. Let's play the etymology game because this works really well. What do we got? Phileo, philos, meaning... Love, and xenos, meaning 
the foreigner, the other, the stranger. I think God's love for us is very specifically this. God's love for anything that is not God is love for the stranger. It's love for the other. It's love for us. We are not very godlike. Uh, you may have heard, if you get in the right theological spaces, about God's infinite, infinite qualitative difference. God is infinitely qualitatively different from us, and so God's love for us is the love of the other. So I think hospitality looks like God's drawing near, but also welcoming and inviting the other into the presence of God. This is, after all, just the straight gospel. God is with us, Emmanuel, right? Um, we did this because we did Advent. Um, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I gave you the message because it's an inside joke among Christians. Um, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I like the vibe that he's not across town, but he's actually like closer than the neighborhood, right? Like the neighborhood is like not as close um, in any event. Uh, Jesus is a welcomer of the other and the foreigner. Um, he is in all sorts of places welcoming folks who are other, right? This painting is called Jesus Welcomes Tax Collectors and Sinners. So this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Did you all see the guy <laughs> who won the Australian Open? His last name is Sinner. Did we notice this? This is very, I'm not going to, I didn't even put a picture up because I didn't want to go there. Um, Jesus is not playing hard to get with the tax collectors and sinners. He is continually inviting them. Come and see. Come follow me. Come draw near to me and experience hospitality. Um, such that when Paul is writing to the Romans, he can say, welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The, the what sets up our hospitality and welcome of other people is that God has welcomed us. Okay. I am tasked this week with talking about the fourth of the ways or the gifts that God gives to us uh, in hospitality, and that is the gift of the Spirit. Um, I want to look at the Holy Spirit not as kind of the fourth gift in the series, uh, but the gift, the person of the triune God, uh, by and whom we experience actually these other things, love and home and family. Um, we will get there in a minute. But I want to get us first to the way in which this gift is kind of outlined and promised and doubled down on in every possible way that God's main way of extending hospitality to us once Jesus is not bodily around is through the sending of the Holy Spirit in the different places that happens. Um, when the women, I think it's women in all, all of the Gospels, go to the tomb to look for Jesus on what we now know is Easter Sunday, they do not know that it's Easter Sunday. They don't know at all. Um, they meet various sort of glowing or white-clad people who say, he is not here. So as much as people have experienced the hospitality of Jesus at meals and banquets and things, we actually live in an age where Jesus is not here, right? We cannot draw near to the person of Jesus. Um, he is not here. Um, Jesus does, man, look at the thing. Okay, I'm not distracted. Um, Jesus does, of course, meet up with these ladies later and the rest of the disciples. He spends 40 days with them in various ways, um, talking through the plan. Uh, but he's going to go away again. So he is still not here. Uh, they'd come together after this 40-day thing. They asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, hey, you're resurrected. Like, game over, right? Let's do this. Um, end times. He says, it is not for you to know the times, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going away and they were gazing up toward heaven, we get my second favorite question. There are two men in white robes. Are these the same men in white robes from Luke? Maybe. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you 
into heaven will come again in the same way you saw him go. Um, why are you looking up into heaven? Because our friend just flew into heaven, okay? Uh, okay, that's, that's my second one. My third one is, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? It's a great question. <laughs> the answer is also no. Okay, that's just an aside. I couldn't leave you without that. Um, he's not here. So the Jesus that was around extending hospitality is not here. So how do we experience God's nearness and welcome and hospitality? Jesus has planned on this. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is what John says way back in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. I have baptized you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus even says at one point, I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the advocate, we'll talk about that word later, um, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. He even suggests that this is a better situation, better than the present embodied welcoming Jesus. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the advocate, there it is again, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit in this age between Jesus' ascension and his return is how God is with us. And Jesus says, it's better that I go away and you actually have the Holy Spirit. So we need to get our welcome that way. Okay, Kiana referred to her icebreaker before, uh, her, her tradition of like, what did you like in your youth? Um, we talked a few weeks ago about what was the like, she probably said DVD, but for me, what was the VHS tape that like got a lot of action in your house? You guys remember VHS tapes? Not too many. Okay, spoiler alert for this one. This movie came out in 1977, so you've, been, you've had your chance. Um, but the movie that got a lot of rotation in my house, well, it was a trilogy, really. It was the Star Wars trilogy. Um, in Star Wars, it's a little hard. Darth Vader's hard to pick out, which is not on purpose, but he's there. It's a little bit light. At the end of episode four, Obi-Wan, who's kind of come back, and Darth Vader have a battle. Darth Vader says what sorts of things? Nerds in the room. No, anyone. <laughs> They're trash talking. What does Darth Vader say? Yeah, your powers are weak. You should not have come back, right? That's right. This is, this is what I'm looking for here. Okay. Obi-Wan says something interesting, though. What does Obi-Wan say? He also calls him Darth the whole time, which is weird. That's what I'm talking about. I, I quote from the internet. I spent some time on Star Wars internet, guys, and I've, I've brought some things back for us. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. That's what he said. Darth Vader's like, whatever. <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, they are fighting. This doesn't, like, I'm so proud of my graphics, guys, but there isn't enough contrast here. Other people see them fighting when this little portal thing opens up, okay? Luke sees them fighting, and he's like, oh, no, because that's what Luke is like all the time. Um, when Obi-Wan sees that Luke sees, what does he do? He gives himself up. Look at that. He's like, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. <laughs> no, there's no father here. It gets, we don't do it like that. Okay? And then, I don't think that's Alec Guinness still in there. That's like a sheet on a hanger or something, right? Because, bang. Okay, that's like... That looks almost as good in the real movie. That's just like his cloak with his lightsaber on there. Like, he's gone. He has vanished. Okay? If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. He is struck down. He disappears. Luke says, No! That's right. That's right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate this. Um, Alec Guinness, right? Obi-Wan is not done in this movie. This guy still has lines. Okay? He just disappeared, but he has lines. What does he say next? Run, Luke, run! 
No, he says it confidently. Run, Luke, run. Okay? They have to, like, get back on the Millennium Falcon and fly away. He says other things like, use the force, Luke. Um, in the next movie, when Luke is dying on the ice world of Hoth, uh, he tells him to go seek out Yoda. Here's what CBR.com says. I'd never been there before. Comic book review, maybe? I looked for a while to see what CBR stood for. I'm just, that's, I gave up. These appearances suggest Obi-Wan is constantly watching over Luke and quite possibly influencing his abilities through the Force. Obi-Wan's interferences mean he's able to nudge Luke in the right direction at any time. Maybe. Okay? I think these directions from Obi-Wan, who is no longer embodied, uh, are just the sort of thing that gives us a sense of what it might be looked like to have, like, the Holy Spirit around, right? Obi-Wan is not in the X-Wing when they go do the, like, trench run and destroy the Death Star. That's the real spoiler alert. You guys should watch this movie. Um, he doesn't fit in there, right? But he, like, has some direction. He is able to be in other spots. Um, so mostly direction from Obi-Wan. We sometimes get encouragement, like Luke, the Force, will be with you. Um, I think you can also make an argument for the Force as the Holy Spirit, but we are not going to do that right now. Um, Obi-Wan obviously isn't around all the time. The Force is. Uh, but he sometimes, Obi-Wan, oh, see, he shows up as a ghost later. There's a, I tried to find one where you could also see the fire for the great connective possibility. There's a, they're like, turn from the fire to see the force ghosts. I couldn't do it. Um, Obi-Wan says, remember, the force will be with you always. Jesus says, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And how is he going to be with us? I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. Okay? So, Obi-Wan becomes more useful to Luke, in a way, when he is not bodily present. Jesus is suggesting that a similar thing maybe is happening. I'm going to skip that one. Um, that one is about how I think Obi-Wan's role is mostly communicating and directing. Okay? He's like, I heard some stuff from the Father. I'm passing them to you. Holy Spirit's going to do the same thing. Um, this word that I promised we would talk about earlier gets translated advocate. I think that was the NRSV I had. Parakletos, parakletos, comforter, advocate, helper, counselor. The New Jerusalem Bible translates it paraclete. It's like, oh, so it's a vocabulary word. Um, the Holy Spirit plays a variety of these roles, okay? Um, oh, that's a cool picture. Let me go back one. Jesus makes quite explicit that the disciples are in kind of a hinge spot in terms of experiencing him and his hospitality. You are to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. When the advocate comes, however, whom I will send from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. So the disciples get a direct kind of audience with Jesus, um, but everybody else later on is going to get the testimony um, of the advocate. Um, so let's talk about how that happens. The one incidence of fire I did not mention happens in Acts 2. This is a text that I assume some of us are pretty familiar with, um, but we got to do it. Um, we are going to talk about a series of moments in Acts where I think it is made extremely clear that the way we encounter God's hospitality and welcome and forgiveness and love and empowerment is through the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think that happens in a number of different ways, in a number of different times, but we're going to look at a, a, a series of texts, and then, you guessed it, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. Um, this is sometimes talk called the baptism of the Spirit, or the filling of the Spirit. Sometimes they talk about receiving the gift of the Spirit. Sometimes the Spirit comes upon people. Sometimes it says the Spirit is poured out. I think these are all the same thing and not to be distinguished in weird particular theological ways. We can talk about that later. If you're deeply committed to some of these things being different from others of these things, um, you can try and convince me of that. I think there are a lot of different ways of saying the same sort of thing. Um, the top of that text starts this way. Um, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave ability. Um, I'm going to move on because you all know that one, right? This happens again and again and again. And I think Peter says, uh, Peter, Peter uh, ends up giving a sermon after they kind of spill out of the house. They're having some bodily involvement that's confused with drunkenness. They're talking in some other languages. We're going to set all of that aside for the moment. Um, I think the author of Acts makes quite clear that this is not meant to be a one-time experience for the 12, or even there are like 120 of them there before that. Um, but this is a thing that is supposed to happen again and again in the church and connected to all of the people that the church will encounter. Peter, at the end of his sermon, says, hey, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It works like that. You get baptized, you trust in Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. This is his expectation. These are, these are closely related. Um, This is continuing that. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away. Everyone whom the Lord God calls, they grow by 3,000 people. Okay, so the hospitality of the Spirit is like growing the like unit of hospitality um, quite automatically. Um, a little more than a chapter later, Peter and John have been arrested uh, for preaching. They have this nice exchange where they're like, stop it. And they're like, we probably won't because God said we should. Who should we listen to? Like, God or you? And they're like, okay, just go away. They go away. They come back to where some of their other folks are. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a crew that I think included people who were there like two chapters ago. Happens again. Okay. A uh, few chapters later, they go down, this is Peter and John, uh, they go down to Samaria and they pray for some Samaritans that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They'd only been baptized in the name of Jesus. So Peter and John laid their hands on them. They received the Spirit. Only a few more. This guy, Saul, you may know him. He was a persecutor of the church. A bright light shines around him on the road to Damascus. He falls down, hears a voice, is blind for a few days. Um, he is in a house when this other guy, Ananias, is sent to him. Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit part of joining team We Believe in Jesus involves receiving the Holy Spirit. That's how Team Jesus plays. Okay, um, I'm skipping these guys. People are always doing things filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, here's a good one, and this one is important for us. Um, Peter goes to Caesarea to the house of a guy named Cornelius. He is a centurion. He is not a Jew. Peter will say later that, well, the Holy Spirit told, told me I should go with him. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them uh, speaking in tongues and such. Peter says, upon seeing this, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They invited him to stay for several days. Um, in the council in Acts 15, that's coming up a few, uh, a few chapters later, Peter speaking to the council, trying to convince them like, hey, the Gentiles are a part of this thing, uh, refers back to this experience. Um, and God who knows the human heart testified to them, this is the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. Just as Jesus said, in his bodily absence, the Spirit will testify. Here it's going to testify to his hospitality, his welcome of folks, and here it includes people that, like, they weren't really so sure were on the docket for welcoming. God's hospitality, welcome, inclusion, drawing near in love and forgiveness allows 
encourages, necessitates that Peter and the rest of the apostles do so too. Um, Okay, one more uh, quick one. I'm going to read from here since, you know, you can't see that. Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus where he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, into what were you baptized? They said, John's baptism. So he's like, oh, okay, okay. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him. That's Jesus. So on hearing that, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. Okay. All of these different counters of different sorts of people believing in Jesus and getting filled with the Holy Spirit with various accompanying phenomena. Um, I want to spend just a moment talking about a rather rigid kind of theological account of how this works um, in Pentecostal settings that I think we want to pull apart to create just a lot more fuzziness about how God might fill us with the Spirit in a few minutes. Um, in classic Pentecostal teaching, they talk about the filling of the Spirit as a second baptism. So the idea is like, first you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, um, and the Spirit has to be involved there. That's a thing. Um, as it says in Corinthians, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit is involved when people are trusting Jesus with their lives. But the idea is that there's then this subsequent baptism, um, a baptism of the Spirit. And if that's the order that this goes for you, then this second baptism can feel like a pretty big deal. And it is. But I think this order and this kind of, uh, yeah, priority, first the one thing and then the other, such that we would talk about two, um, is a little too schematized for a few reasons. And I want to clear this up because I think, as we saw in that text from Peter uh, at the end of his sermon, he expects that every single person trusting in Jesus will receive the filling of the Holy Spirit which sometimes comes right then, sometimes comes later, but this is like in no way a special case situation. It is in fact how people experience the presence and the love and the welcome and the hospitality of God to them, okay? So I want us to like deconstruct a few things that make this seem weirder or less accessible than it is. Okay, um, Okay, the baptism of the Spirit. This is just a space to, to talk about this. Here's the thing. I think there is no good reason, in fact, to think there is such a thing as the baptism of the Spirit or the filling of the Spirit as opposed to a baptism of the Spirit, a filling of the Spirit. Um, the first time you have this sort of experience may feel pretty watershed. It makes a pretty big, it could feel like a pretty big deal. Um, we had uh, our Empowered series back in November. We did a, an evening where we talked about the baptism of the Spirit. We invited folks who were like, hey, if you haven't felt like you've been filled with the Spirit or like it's been a while, you'd really like some more of this, who would like that? We prayed for some folks. And somebody said, after being quiet but deeply touched for a while, someone said, oh, I felt like God has like been near to me for years, like near to me. But, like, now I feel like God, like, is, like, nearer than my skin, like, in me somehow, right? Like, an experience of intimacy with God that hadn't been there before. Um, so, that can feel like a big deal. And that might lead you to think about the baptism of the Spirit. But as I think we've seen in, the, in, in at least a few of our texts, that is a baptism of the Spirit, a filling with the Spirit. We've seen it happen um, a second time to those folks when Peter and John are, uh, are released from prison. Um, we also, I think, need to pull apart the idea that this happens in an order, right? Believe in Jesus, then get the baptism. Um, in, the, in Acts 8, the Samaritans had been baptized in the name of Jesus for some time. The Spirit hadn't come upon them. Peter shows up and says, hey, let's get this done for you. If this hasn't happened for you yet, it should happen now. Um, that fits the pattern. But in Acts 10, 
I'm not going back through all these texts because we just read them. In Acts 10, it really does happen in the other order. The Gentiles are listening to Peter preach. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And then he's like, shoot, if the Holy Spirit is moving on you, like, would you like to trust in Jesus and be baptized? It like actually goes in the other order. Um, I'm not going to talk about tongues. Do you want me to talk about tongues? Sometimes we should say this for a moment. The other part of the kind of, I think, overwrought theological construction that you'll hear in some Pentecostal contexts is that tongues, which happens in a few of these texts, but not all of them, is the sign that this Holy Spirit filling thing has happened. And the thing is, it's not. <laughs> right? In some cases, there are people who do speak in tongues. Seems like this is a thing that happens with like some frequency, but it sure doesn't happen all the time. And there isn't any suggestion, I think, in any of these texts that this is like tongues are somehow like a qualifying experience or an event or like a mark of, of um, any kind of like, hey, it really happened to me because I speak in tongues. I think that's just, that's not a thing. Um, okay. Let me get us in to how the Spirit does this work. So we're going to, we're in a few minutes going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill us to receive God's hospitality to us. And that's going to happen in a, in a few different modes. The first is as a way that we receive God's love. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. We're going to receive God's love uh, specifically in a way that like gives us home. That was week two of the series. Collect all four, okay? This is Jesus uh, praying to God the Father. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. So these are the disciples, those who will believe in me through their word. That's us at length. That they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Remember that bit from John 15 about the vine and the branches? I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me. I could only find terrible art for this, so there's no art. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth. He abides with you, and he will be in you. The way that we abide in Jesus is through the gift of the Spirit that makes our, our having a home in God possible. I will not leave you orphaned, he continues. Family, number three. Let me go back to my thing here. You received the spirit of adoption, enabling us to cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself joins with our spirit to bear witness that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Um, here's Jesus' experience at his baptism. He saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This uh, experience of the spirit at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and I think also in Acts, uh, at the beginning of the church's post-resurrection ministry, doesn't just give power, right? They're about to get up to a bunch of ministry, but also affection and assurance, right? Belovedness pleasure, welcome. And this is the hospitality of God to us. We are welcomed into God's presence by his coming to us. Jesus is ascended, but we are given the spirit. So we might receive his love, so we might be at home in him and among his people, wherever we may be as children of God. Filled with the spirit of love, adoption, peace, power, I think we could say, we can extend God's hospitality to others. Um, I think Ephesians 2 does a great job of capturing kind of what's at stake here. I'm going to read this chapter to us, and then I'm going to invite us. Um, we'll engage with God's welcoming presence and see, see what happens. We're going to do what I think the church is meant to do. Um, you can read along if you want. You probably, I would encourage you instead to just listen. And listen for the contours of the welcome of God to you and the place of ongoing and expanding hospitality that your receipt of the love of Jesus places you in. This is Ephesians 2, 
most of it, the good parts. And you were dead through the crimes and the sins which used to make up your way of life when you were living by the principles of this world, obeying the ruler who dominates the air, the spirit who is at work in those who rebel. We too were all among them once, living only by our natural inclinations, obeying the demands of human self-indulgence and our own whim. But God, being rich in faithful love, through the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, brought us to life with Christ. It is through grace that you have been saved, and raised us up with him and gave, him, gave us a place with him in heaven, in Christ Jesus. This was to show for all ages to come, through his goodness towards us in Christ, how extraordinarily rich he is in grace, maybe hospitality. Because it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not by anything of your own, but by a gift from God. Not by anything that you have done, so that nobody can claim the credit. We are God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus for the good works which God has already designated to make up our way of life. Okay, thanks, New Jerusalem Bible. Do not forget then that there was a time when you who were Gentiles by physical descent, that is very well most of us, do not forget, I say, that you were at that time separate from Christ and excluded from membership of Israel, aliens with no part in the covenants of the promise, limited to this world without hope and without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you that used to be so far off have been brought close by the blood of Christ. For he is the peace between us and has made the two into one entity and broken down the barrier which used to keep them apart through the cross to reconcile them, that is Gentiles and Jews, both to God in one body. In his own person, he killed the hostility. He came to bring the good news of peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. Through him, then, we both, in the one spirit, have free access to the Father. So you are no longer aliens or foreign visitors. You are fellow citizens with the holy people of God and part of God's household. You are built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, and Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. Every structure knit together in him grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and you too in him are being built up into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. It's the filling of the Spirit again and again that leads and equips the church to extend God's hospitality, bringing near those who were far off to be members of the household of God. We have two invitations that we'll start to engage right away. <laughs> the first is to receive God's hospitality. I think some of us, I hang out with some of you guys sometimes, some of us don't find that this comes like amazingly easily. Some of us identify a little bit with John Wesley, who's like, shoot, I am like, don't know if I have what it takes to like live a holy life unto the Lord. And when we think maybe part of the experience of the Spirit looks like being told something like, in you I am well pleased, that feels like it doesn't go down. Like, how could you possibly be well pleased? I think there is an invitation to encounter God's welcome and forgiveness that like sees you exactly as you are and welcomes you, right? You're, you, are, you will remain other to the Lord, no matter how sanctified you get. The Methodists kind of worry about this. Um, can you achieve total satisfaction or sanctification um, in this life? Geez, I'm like, point to the person who you feel like is close. <laughs> like, are there examples of this? They have a theological question about whether total sanctification is possible. I don't know that too many of us relate too deeply to that. I think we relate instead uh, to a need to be assured and forgiven. Here's the next thing Wesley wrote in his journal after the strangely warmed uh, evening. After my return home, I was much buffeted with temptations, but I cried out and they fled away. They returned again and again. 
But as often as I lifted up my eyes, he sent me help from his holy place. And herein, I found the difference between this and my former state chiefly consisted. Oh, in this, I found the difference consisted. I was striving, fighting with all my might under the law, as well as under grace. But then, afterwards, I was sometimes, if not often, oh, before, I was sometimes, if not often, conquered. Now I was always conqueror. So Wesley, as he experiences his sin and the harassment of his awareness of his sin, finds a place to go back to and find God's assurance by the spirit that had strangely warmed his heart, that it is, uh, it's game on for him. Um, he has access and ongoing access um, to God. So I think, I think for some of us, there's a practice there. Um, second is an encouragement straight out of Ephesians, which is be filled with the spirit. I think we would be remiss if we did not invite folks who are like, I, I don't know that I've had this experience of the baptism or the filling of the Spirit. I think that's something we ought to do together. Um, for folks who are like, shoot, I've been filled with the Spirit, but I'd like to be filled with the Spirit again if that's an option, we should also do that together. Um, I do think that there is uh, desire and volition involved. If you don't want to be filled with the Spirit, peace be with you. <laughs> right? You don't have to say yes um, to how the Lord might want to draw near to you. But if you do, I think saying yes is all you have to do. Um, I looked up on the internet. While I was trying to figure out if the Holy Spirit warmed you, I found wonderful things like, does the apparent experience of receiving the Holy Spirit generally involve the feeling of intense heat? No. Okay, it usually doesn't. Uh, or maybe it does. Or it could look like any number of things. Um, when we prayed, uh, back in November, maybe it was, and invited the filling of the Holy Spirit. We didn't really say, like, come and do X, Y, or Z, Holy Spirit. Just like, hey, fill, fill these folks up and see what happens. And one of those folks had a quite uh, extended encounter in which he felt like Jesus was reaching out to him, saying, like, hey, you're welcome. Like, who you are is what I love. And I think that's an experience that some of us would like to have kind of again and again and again, okay? So that's, that's all we're going to do. Then we'll do some other things. We'll pray in some ways. But I want to invite, yeah, folks who would like to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit, why don't you extend your hands? Yeah, this text uh, that I put up from Luke. If you then, Jesus is talking to his listeners, who are evil, sorry guys, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Lord, yeah, we just ask for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in this place to each and every person who would want to receive from you. I was reading one thing this week and someone said, it's not that you get more of God, it's that God like gets more of you. That seems clever to me, but I also think there's something, there's something to it. <laughs> if you want God to have more of you, if that comes by yeah, feeling, feeling a particular word of welcome or love or forgiveness or freedom or energy or encouragement. Just say yes to what the Lord is doing. And folks who are starting to receive from the Lord, if you'd like someone else to kind of come alongside and bless what you're receiving, sometimes folks um, who have kind of would say like, oh yeah, I had one of those baptism of the Holy Spirit moments. It was, it was wild, like things were crazy, like I was on the ground or like, for folks who've had that kind of experience, um, 
it often is something that you can like minister to someone else. Not to like, you know, have them have the same kind of physical or dramatic response, but you're like, hey, this is a, this is a way I've been filled before. Um, feel free to kind of go and just lay a hand on somebody's shoulder for a second and bless them as they're kind of receiving. So if you feel, yeah, folks who really kind of feel like, I think the Lord is filling me, whether you would rate that like at a high level or a low level, but you feel like something is happening with the Lord, would you just stand up so other folks who might want to come and bless you can do so? reminds the disciples, hey, you have, you have to wait. Wait here for a few days. It's going to happen. Wait. Lord, would you give us the ability to wait on your coming, on the coming of your spirit. Saul waits for a couple days before Ananias turns up. Right? There's a desire of like, hey, I think I want to encounter more of the Lord for me. I want the Lord to be closer than my skin. I want the Lord to, like, proclaim his love over me. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you make us a people that do this? <laughs> that say, you know what? Like, I want to be filled up again. What I have is <laughs> not enough. My performance of holiness this week has been just okay. Would we know the welcome of God?